This week we look at a mountain that everyone is familiar with, but probably not the name. It's often known as Mount Tabor, which is the Mount of Transfiguration. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, we continue our sermon series talking about mountains of the Bible. <laughs> Just so you guys wouldn't see the microphone, I put it behind the screen, so glad that fixed that. <laughs> no. uh, we, uh, we got to school today, and there was no one, there was no one here. That was at 8.30, so we were ready to like, move in to, to put our boxes, and there was no one here, so we made frantic calls for about 20 minutes, so I'm sorry I had the wrong bulletin, and but now I'm, now I'm on track. So I got the right sermon in front of me, so we're in good shape. We got the right slides, and you can just see a microphone to highlight things, so we'll make sure of that. We, uh, we've been talking about mountains, and we ran into a few significant figures as we talk about significant events. In fact, these are events that shape and make these people very famous. So we, our first mountain was Mount Moriah. Remember who we talked about, who, who marches up Mount Moriah in faith? Abraham. So this is one of the fathers of the Jewish nation, and this is probably one of the most significant things. If you'd ask a kid, why do they know Abraham? There's a number of stories, but this would probably be the story. They would remember that Abraham went all the way up this hill, ready to kill his only son, which is crazy to any human being. And we said, how in the world do you do that? You just have to trust that God is going to take care of things. That's exactly what Abraham did. We run into two famous guys, though, today in our story. Do you recognize these? Jesus is obviously in the middle. I love this. They, they look the exact same to me. What have you, did you ever wonder, like, when they go up to the Mount of Transfiguration, how in the world did they know it was Moses? I mean, we have, like, name tags and stuff, but, I mean, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Because, to me, that is the same person from two different angles. So which one's Moses? The longer beard, probably. He lived to be 120, and that's my guess. So, Usually, though, if they draw artwork, they do this. So that, that's what I don't know if, like, Moses, when he was going to go be, appear before um, the, the men on top of the mountain, they're like, Moses, you've got to bring the Ten Commandments. They're not going to know who you are. And so, like, I don't, so I don't know if that's what they did, um, but that's apparently what happened. So Moses appears up there. They're very famous for their own rights. So if, if for a Jewish person, these are the most significant people. I'm going to just pretend that this is now Abraham. So we have Abraham. They all look the same anyway. Abraham, and then we have Moses. And Moses is significant because it's on a mountain. He's 80 years old that the Lord appears to him and says, tell you what, I want you to go free my people. And you're going to come and bring these people out of Egypt to this very spot. So it's Moses who gives the law. It's Moses who goes up Mount Sinai. It's Moses whose face glows, it says, and then he would cover it with a veil. That's what we're talking about. Moses is that person. And some have speculated that Moses, in fact, did not die just like Elijah. So you know the story of Elijah. Elijah's taken up in a whirlwind, not necessarily a chariot, but it says a whirlwind. You know? So these fiery chariots come by, and then um, he is like an entourage, and then he goes up in this whirlwind. The fact that he appears here with Moses, some have said, did, when Moses went up Mount Nebo, did he just go up to heaven the same way? We don't know for sure, but that's what people, that's what people guess. So Moses puts in and enacts these laws and said, you have to have all these kinds of sacrifices again and again and again and again. And so this happens for like 500 years. And they don't even have a building. So if you're feeling sorry for yourself because we've been setting up for like five years, we have 495 years to go before we can start whining. They didn't even have a church until God said to Solomon, I'm going to allow you to build this temple. So they start this process of worshiping the Lord. You'd think, okay, 
God makes a promise that he's going to be in this temple, so let's dwell in that temple and, and be focused. That's not exactly what happens 200 years later. There's not a single good king in the north. In, in the midst of this dark, dark time, where is Elijah? Elijah is the prophet of God, and he honestly asks himself, am I the only believer in the whole planet? Now, I imagine you felt alone before, right? Maybe you're the only one, it seems like, when you go to work that cares about what God has to say. Maybe you've been in school, or maybe you've been at a party, or maybe you've been somewhere, and it feels like you're just totally surrounded. Maybe you check media, and you go, am I the only one who doesn't think this is okay? But do you really think you're the only person in the whole planet? That's how Elijah felt. Like, he, he thinks I'm it. Because Jezebel, whenever you say her name, you have to say, like, dun, dun, dun. So Jezebel, the most evil of all the ladies in the Bible, was trying to kill all the prophets so the prophets go into hiding. So we have these two significant figures. We have Moses, we have Elijah, and where, of course, do they appear to the, the apostles? On top of a mountain. Do you know which mountain it is? Mountains have like a significance. It, you don't even have to be a Christian, I think, for mountains to be significant. Can you think of places where people think like this is special ground? In the San Juan Mountains, the Navajo have a special mountain that they say this is it. You go to Mount Fuji, it's got a special place. You go to uh, Kaizen, which is in Japan, that's also a, a place of holy ground. If the ancient stories of the Greeks, where do they go? Mount Olympus. There, there's, even if you're not even a believer of any sort, there's kind of this idea that says the higher you go up, the closer you get to God. And so for a lot of these places, a lot of these cultures, you go to Hawaii, there's sacred mountains that you can't mess with. Um, in fact, uh, President Obama changed the name officially, I believe, from Denali, which is our tallest mountain in America, to McKinley, the other way around. I mean, <clears throat> then he changed it back again because he was wrong in a sermon. That's exactly what happened. So he changed it to Denali. Why would I say McKinley? That's named after a guy. He changed it to Denali, which sounds way more Native American than McKinley. Unless it's one of the Irish Native Americans. I told you, did I mention that they got here late this morning? Did I mention that? Okay. So he changes it because this is a sacred place to the local culture, and they said, you cannot do that. That's our sacred mountain. You can't change that. So there's always this compelling idea. And I think even for like mountain climbers, there's this sense, even if they're not believers, that there's something that happens when you're on top of a mountain. What's the phrase that we have for that? Mountaintop experience. It's like kind of this special, special moment. And they are having this moment. And so you'd think, as a Christian, we want to figure out where this is. So there's a couple options. This is uh, Mount Tabor, the traditional site of the Transfiguration. Uh, when Jesus was there, possibly there was not a church called the, the Church of the Transfiguration, just for clarity. So this is one possibility. This is where people for centuries have said this is where the Transfiguration took place. The, the, the problem is it's kind of far away. And there's a closer one. So if you're following the Bible text, they're in Caesarea Philippi, and there's a closer mountain of significance, and that's Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is in this range. It's a snowy mountain. It's 9,200 square feet, uh, feet tall. And this is a great fun fact. There's actually a ski resort on Mount Hermon. So if anyone wants to ski sometime at Mount Hermon in the Bible lands, I thought about it, except any skier sees this picture, why wouldn't you want to go there? The, the tree skiing would be lousy because it would be like 
but any skier sees that and they say, oh, that's not a high-speed lift. That's like skiing at Cooper, which means you ski down in like three minutes and then you sit on the lift for 500 hours. So as soon as I saw that, I'll just, I'll take people's word for it and I don't think I'll ever ski Mount Hermon. Does it matter though, as believers, which of these mountains Jesus would have been on? Not really. It really doesn't. Here's what does matter, and, and I'm going to kind of set the scene for what happens just before this instance. Because, you know, a lot of stuff we know what happens just before Jesus gets there. Here's one of the instances that we know. Are you kidding me? Elliot, can you hit the button? Oh, now it works. Okay. Those are supposed to be arrows in between. Understand this, and this is really important. For the Jewish people, they had kind of a cycle. So when you think of Jewish people uh, today, historically, you remember like World War II and Hitler and the oppression of the Jewish people in the Holocaust, right? This is something that comes into your mind, and you think that is, it is terrible. But that's not the first time this has happened. And so if you ever meet someone who's Jewish, and if you ever get a sense that they feel like they're oppressed a lot, this is kind of the history of their nation. If you'd say, as an American, um, what, what makes people American? I would say, like, pulling yourself by your own bootstraps, you know, starting your own business. This is kind of the attitude. That's one of the reasons why I think the free gospel of Christ is difficult when you proclaim it. But, I mean, this is kind of our attitude. This is how Americans roll. That's not quite how it rolls. And let me just tell you a little bit of the history. There's arrows in between these, but you can't see them. So there's a time of oppression to salvation from God, to oppression, to salvation from God, oppression, it just goes again and again and again. And we just have the privilege of following their whole life. And so you can go all the way back to the story that we looked at. Moses, the people are oppressed by the Egyptians, and God says, I am going to provide someone to get them out of there. I'm going to send Moses. So this becomes the song of the Israelite people. They say, God is going to provide. God is going to pull us out of this salvation. So now you just keep ticking down by history. The Philistines start to come and oppress the people. Who does God send? He sends judges like Samson. It just keeps ticking along. The, uh, the Philistines are attacking again, and God sends David. They're going again and again, and God sends, you know, again and again. And it, they're attacked, and God sends Jews Maccabeus. And then suddenly, what's the situation when Jesus rolls in? They're not ruling the world. And so there's this idea that, hey, this is part of our culture, that we get oppressed and then God provides a deliverer. And so the disciples, just imagine you're one of the disciples and you're following Jesus and you're thinking like, okay, and we talk about this a lot, this could be the guy. And in your mind, you cannot separate these two ideas. And I think sometimes we look back and we think, why would the disciples ever look at Jesus as like a political savior? Maybe because God did that every single other time, right? There hasn't been five saviors from sin. There's been zero up until Jesus. Up until this point, they get oppressed politically. God provides help. They get oppressed politically. God provides help. They go to Babylon. God sends in the Persians so that they get help again and again and again and again. So don't be surprised when Jesus shows up and they said, the Messiah is going to be here, that the Romans are oppressing you. You would think naturally that this could possibly be a political savior, and that's exactly what they thought. So just before they go up the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus has a conversation with the people. So he sits down with his disciples. Now just imagine, this is like last week, okay? It says literally like about eight days, six to eight days. He sits down with his disciples and he says, okay, 
Who do people say that I am? You know what? Who do people say that I am? And they go, well, the people, actually, um, if you want to know Jesus, the people think you're a couple options here. Um, you're one of the old prophets that has come back from the dead. Some people say Elijah, who we mention again. But, you know, there's some other ideas. And Jesus says, who do you think I am? All right, now they're, on, now they're getting called to the carpet, right? Now they have to actually answer, like, why don't you take this one? You know, and who, of course, is going to answer when you've got a group and any silent? I don't think there's ever been awkward silence with Peter because it's just like someone asks a question, he jumps in. He's the kid in the front row going like this. So they said, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the chosen one of God, which is really awesome, right? This is this beautiful confession that Peter recognizes that the Savior God's chosen Savior, God's redemption and salvation is going to come through in this one figure. But what does that mean? Jesus then explains, this is in the next section. Then he said to them, this is right after this awesome answer, you're expecting a high five, right? He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to his glory in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Okay, well, how would that make you feel? Like you finally make the confession, you're expecting a high five to say, okay, we have found our political savior most likely. We have found the one that God is going to provide redemption with. This is going to be so fantastic. And then he says, oh, by the way, if you're going to follow me, here's something you should know that it's going to be super hard, and you're probably going to die, and if you're ashamed of me, when I go to heaven, I'm going to be ashamed of you. I think there's going to be a silence in the room, like not even Peter is saying anything. That happened last week, and so now it's a week later, and I wonder, this is what I wonder, do you think it really put into their brain, when you read the parts of Scripture, it doesn't seem that the disciples fully grasped that Jesus was a savior from sin for a long time. Because right in the same section, Jesus, right after this, Jesus explains to them that the Son of Man, the very next thing he talks about is he says the Son of Man is going to suffer. The Son of Man is going to die, talking about himself. The Son of Man is going to die and rise again on the third day. Do you think that really sunk into their head? No. I'll give you an example. This morning we were trying to get the sound to work. Not the time you're thinking of, a different time. So this morning we're trying to get the sound to work, and we're looking, and, I, and I'm using my computer instead of the church computer because it goes with um, Kayla and Megan. Megan usually does it. And we're playing the sound, and we're like, okay, step one, play music. Okay, the music's working. I pull out the cord. It plays on my computer. I plug it back in. Nothing happens. So we check all the cords naturally because how do you fix it? I Nintendo it, you know, like, you know, blow on the cartridge. I put it in. None of that works. And then we look, and, uh, and we look at the soundboard, and it's showing like these, like the things going up. What are those called? LED dancing lights. That's what they're called. That's the official roadie name. That's what they say at the concert. Like, hey, do we have any dancing lights? Yes. So the lights are moving, so we know sound is going into it. And we're stumped for like minutes, like minutes, which is really humiliating because what is, what's the other option? There's only one. Like, the speakers are on, or you know, we look, they're glowing. Can you see the little JBL? We, <laughs> there is no cord into the speaker. 
But it took us like five minutes to figure this out, even though it's like a three-step problem. Why? Because we always plug them in, and that's never been an issue for five years, and we're sitting in the back going like, what could it be? Maybe we're doing something wrong with the computer, and we're plugging it back in, and I'm shutting it off and turning it. I went to iTunes, I don't know why, to try and like, oh, maybe the sound like secretly is doing an end around, you know, like, and all it was was the cords weren't plugged in. So it takes a while sometimes when the very, your assumptions are wrong, and I think for the disciples, up until this moment, for a long time, their assumptions are wrong. They're saying Jesus is the Savior from our political turmoil. Jesus is it. We've got to somehow figure it out, even though Jesus right in front of their face has the answer. And so this is their story. About eight days after Jesus said this, that's where he described that he has to suffer and die, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. <laughs> Maybe that was a conference call. You know how when you, when you call on a conference call and they go, yeah, this is Jared. And then they say, maybe that's what they're doing so they know who they were. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So all this is happening. They're talking and the disciples are trying to figure this out. But then it says, Peter and his companions are very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men are leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters. Here, I got a plan. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept them this to themselves, and they didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. How long do you think they kept it to themselves? You wonder, how long did it take? Because I, I think faith would be like this pick, you know, like a chair, right? And if God, you have this faith, and you can know about this chair, right? Here's a chair, we all agree. And it, it looks comfortable for sitting, and it, it seems like it'll function. You, know, you assume that it's going to work, right? But you don't fully understand some things until you actually try it. And I wonder if the disciples knew about Jesus, and they're trying to put all these pieces together, right? That their faith is putting these things together. Like, Jesus is supposed to save us, and Jesus is super strong, and he's already fed 5,000 people, and he's done all these things, and they're putting all these places, and now they go up to the top of a mountain, and they see that he's God. I wonder... At what moment did they just decide to sit? Sit down. 20 years later, when Peter is relaying his story, 20 years later, he, he says this. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. At some point, they no longer just from a head knowledge knew about Jesus. At some point, they knew from a, an actual experience. At some point, they knew in their heart that he wasn't just here to save them from Roman chaos. At some point, they knew that he was here to actually change their lives. At some point, he knew that they were going to take their sins away, and that was a message Remember what Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, 
you got to pick up your cross. He said that you're going to die. You're going to try and save your life. You're going to die. You're going to lose your life. You're going to make a commitment. What would propel you to do that? And I think the only thing that would propel you to do that is not just in your head, in your heart, you know that this is true. We live in a culture of people that know about Jesus, right? Everybody knows about Jesus. Do you know anyone who hates Jesus? I don't know anyone. I don't know a single person. I've never seen anyone come to me and say, Pastor, I just can't stand Jesus. In fact, there's a book that says they love Jesus, they just hate the church. So we go into a culture with a lot of people about a head knowledge, trying to figure out who Jesus is. And I think the person who best summed this up was C.S. Lewis. He writes a book, Mere Christianity. And in that book, he has this long quote, which I've shared with you before. But this is his quote. He's trying to convince people that Jesus is the true Savior. And he says this, I've been trying here to prevent anyone from saying a really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said that sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon. And you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with some patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend that. We've got a world of people when we talk about mountains. We've got a world of people longing for some kind of mountaintop experience. How many people try and go up and up and up? They're trying to make some connection with the God. They're trying to find something bigger and deeper. And, you know, maybe it's not an actual mountain. They're trying to find something that fills them up. They're trying to find something that satisfies. They're trying to find something so they don't feel like they're drifting off in this world. And you know what the coolest part is? We, we don't have to go up a mountain. Because on that mountain we see that he's God and that he's come here that a real God walked on this earth, that there's a real God who's in our presence, that there's a real God who's among us, there's a real God who says he's here where two or three come together, God is right here. And that is as awesome as it is. Remember what happened when that cloud came? It said they were afraid. I don't blame them. I don't blame them one bit. It's one thing to know that God is with us and present. It's also a terrifying thing on a level to know that God is right next to us, isn't it? God hears what you say on your commute. God hears and sees the movies you watch. God knows what you say at home. God knows what you think. And this is the best part. God doesn't say, here's what I want you to do. I've heard all that stuff, and here's what I want you to do. You've got to do this and this and this and this and this, and then this and this and this and this and this and this, and then I'll listen to you. Instead, God says, I know exactly what you've done. And in spite of that, I actually came to this earth to come to you, to die on a real cross, so that it makes sense. It makes sense when we run to a difficult spot. It makes sense that when we say, is it Christ or nothing? As you make a promise as for our new members, you say, is it Christ or nothing? You say, I pick Christ. Is it the world or Christ? You say, I pick Christ. Is it life or Christ? I pick Christ. And the disciples had done that, 
And 20 years later, they get a chance to reflect, to say, I, I didn't fully get what was going on in that mountain. I bet they would say that. But we're not making this stuff up. We actually got to see his glory, and there is a day where every one of us is going to see his glory in full. There's going to be a day where we no longer have to sit in a chair. There's a day where we're not going to have to read the scriptures because the scripture is going to be right in front of us, and there's no doubts, no fears, no worries, because Christ is in our presence. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you told the disciples to listen to your Son, and we pray that we do that. We don't stand in terror. We don't stand in fear, knowing all the things we have to do to make up for the things we've done. Instead, we stand in awe. We stand in awe of a God who showed and revealed himself as true God, which empowered the disciples to know that the things they believed were not made up. This really was your son, and you gave us a message, not a message of do, 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 but a message of done on the cross. And when we carry our cross, it's not a cross to try and get closer to you. It's a cross of thanksgiving as we live and uh, serve you in this world. Amen.